Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks, and I am joined by the one and only Mr. Mike Schmitz. Hi, Mike. Oh, wow. That's quite an intro. Hey, David. Yeah, you deserve it. You deserve it. And we, <laughs> we also have a guest today. Welcome to the show, Ian Bird. Hello. Hello, everybody. Ian, uh, we're going to talk about Ian and what he does in a minute. Very interesting guy and has a lot of interesting focused angles. Before we start, though, we have a couple preliminary things we wanted to cover. We did our first membership meetup. We did. It was a ton of fun. And I'm looking forward to doing these on a more regular basis. I know there were some people who couldn't join because of the time. So we're going to try some different time slots to accommodate our international fans. But it was really cool to connect with people on Zoom and see some faces, even meet some other focused fans from my state in Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, we had people there from Europe. We had people, we had people from all over the place. It was really great and a lot of fun. If you want to get involved with that in the future, just go ahead and subscribe to the Focus podcast. We've got it right there on the website at relay.fm slash focused. And we're going to be doing these fairly regularly. I don't want to, we're not sure when the next one's yet. We're going to schedule that actually since we get done with this call, but it will be soon. And all the members get an email saying, if you'd like to sign up, go in and sign up and we've got, we've got room for you. So come join us. Yes. And if you join and become a member and support Focus directly, you'll also get access to the Relay FM crossover feed, which is where a lot of your favorite Relay shows, including Focus, are publishing some special content. And we did a video call and we uh, were talking about fancy pens even before we hit record today. But uh, in this video, you see just how far this rabbit hole goes for me as we share our pen collections. Yeah, guys, Mike Schmitz has a problem. I'm just going to say it out loud. Uh, is this an intervention? Can we do that? I don't know. But uh, since we first one we recorded, he, Mike, you just kept bringing pins out. It was great. It was kind of hilarious. And then he just told me he bought two more. So I don't know. <laughs> well, two more came. I didn't buy two more <laughs> since then. But <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, either way, it was a fun episode, and we actually put ourselves on video, which is also fun. And uh, it's all good. So uh, if you're a member of any relay supported show, you'll be able to get access to that. But if you want to get into those focused meetups, which I th I found really good, I mean, uh, you know, the people that listen to the show all have kind of a common goal and it was great being able to talk to some fellow travelers. So if you sign up, please join us for the next time we do that and we'll announce it on the next episode. All right, Ian Bird, welcome to the focus podcast. Thanks for having me. I feel like that was kind of stressful. Did I stress you out with the way I said that? <laughs> no, no. I was in the middle of a coffee sip. So. It felt like uh, inside the actor's studio or something there for a second. No. <laughs> Ian, uh, Ian is over at Birdseed, B-Y-R-D-S-E-E-D.com. Um, also, Birdseed, spelled the same, .tv. It's a video subscription site. Um, Puzzlements.co, which is a weekly mailer for... Uh, five curious images and videos. And Ian started as a teacher, but he had a unique specialty as a teacher. And then he went through a couple career changes. Ian, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So um, when I went to college, I studied computer science and uh, I graduated and I've never really used that degree. Like I've never had a professional computer science job uh, and I took a couple years between graduating before I really started my career. But I did music. Um, I ended up working as a special ed um, instructional aide at an elementary school. Um, and that got me interested in teaching. 
Um, and like everyone in my family are all teachers. So I went back and got my teaching credential. Um, and I ended up student teaching. Uh, they randomly place you in your like last last semester of um, teaching program. Um, I ended up working in the same school district I grew up in. Um, and I got put into a gifted and talented program. Um, and then I ended up getting uh, hired to to work with gifted and talented kids at an elementary school. Um, and it was the same program I had actually grown up in. Um, and, and these are kids that I really like connected with um, and enjoyed working with them. And uh, so I started writing about what I was doing in, in the classroom. Um, so I started a WordPress blog, and that's birdseed.com, uh, which was just a random domain name that I happened to have. But uh, I, I think it kind of fits. But um, I started writing about what I was doing. And within a couple of years, that led to um, people reaching out from like state conferences um, and asking me to come out and speak. Um, so after, after doing that for a few years while I was still teaching, um, it started to become uh, too much to do both. Uh, so I quit my teaching job and I went like full time trying to do like a consulting business. Uh, and I did that for a few years um, and I started this video website which is uh, subscription lessons. And, I, and that was just kind of on the side. And I was mostly just doing the speaking. And uh, I started to experience, I think, what, what most consultants and like speakers end up having is this, the burnout from traveling so much. Um, and this was about the same time that um, we had our, had our first kid. Uh, and so I started to, to try to pull back on travel and focus instead on um, building up this video subscription site. Uh, and so in the last couple of years, that's that's been my main focus. I stopped traveling at the end of last year, which uh, in hindsight was extremely fortunate timing because um, there's no events right now going on. So, um, yeah, so I've started doing this uh, video subscription site and it's really taken off in the last couple of years and it's it has become my main focus. It's funny on that, you know, when you describe that, it's like what I hear from you is like, you've gone through a series of dream jobs. You know, I, I hear from folks all the time, like, this is my dream job. In fact, I kind of feel like I currently have my dream job, but yeah, you're, it's your dream job. And then until it's not your dream job, right? And like, yeah. you know, you wanted to be this teacher and you were very good at it. Then you became a speaker and now you're a video content producer. Yeah. And there is a sense of like, like whittling down what it is about each thing that, that I really like doing and like hopefully throughout my life this will be like a like a continuing journey where you you try to figure out what you enjoy um and what you're good at and try to trim away all the rest of it and still make a living yeah now I have to ask because looking at your website before we jumped on the the call here uh you mentioned that you did work with special education I grew up working with a family business that made software for special education. And on your website, you have a section here about social emotional needs. And it even says, when we pay attention to academics, but not to our students, social emotional needs, we're missing half of the picture. I'm curious, you know, if you don't mind unpacking that a little bit, because that's not something that typically comes up on focus, but I think it has a very focused angle. And uh, what, what sort of connection is there in your opinion, between the, the whole social emotional side of this and maybe personally how it's helped you navigate your own career path, but really generally, why should people be caring about this particular thing? So when I, um, when I randomly got this student teaching assignment um, to work in this gifted and talented class, um, it was kind of a like, life-changing experience for me because it was the first time that I was exposed to this like, 
branch of education, which is social emotional. Um, and particularly with kids who do really well in school, um, especially early, um, it, it sets up a lot of interesting like traps where kids get used to being like perfect um, and not just being, not just getting a hundred percent, but like being the fastest in the class and also getting a hundred percent. And like, as you move through school, like that just, it becomes impossible to keep that up. Um, and a lot of kids who do really well early on um, develop like an imposter syndrome as they move through school and go to like middle school and high school. Um, and for me, it was like really when I went to college um, and just being surrounded with people who were as smart as I was and smarter um, and no longer, no longer being able to do everything quickly and get 100%. Um, I really had like an identity crisis in college. And I think it's, it's a reason, like I mentioned, I didn't, I didn't really have a full-time job out of college. Um, cause I was like, really, I felt like I wasn't, I felt like I was, um, very capable when I was younger. And then I had like lost that. Um, and so when I ended up doing the student teaching and like hearing that this was a common theme, um, it, it really impacted me. And so that, that is something that I try to write about and talk about. Um, is my own experience as as a student that if we're not aware that of how kids are feeling, it is really hard to um, to be successful in educating them. Um, and yeah, so that that's been a big that's been a big like the topic of focus, being able to say no to things and being able to quit things. Um, I think there's a point in my life where that would have been hard to do because it would have felt like a failure. Um, whereas now I feel really like I, I feel happy when I'm able to cut things away and say, those aren't things that I'm particularly good at, but I am good at this. And, you know, that's what I want to focus on. A good friend of mine is the Dean of Students at one of the universities here in Southern California. And he was telling me they even have a term for that. They call it porcelain children, where uh -huh. they show up for college having been rock stars in high school. And then they shatter when they arrive at high school or college, because all of a sudden they're in the big leagues. Yeah. There's always somebody smarter than you are <laughs> and that imposter syndrome you know you talked about it ian in terms of the the kids who are going through this but this is a theme we deal with on the show over and over again david this this is, applies to everybody <laughs> you need these social emotional skills yeah yeah and yeah even as an adult i mean i feel like i'm having learned about this with what kids are going through i see it so much in myself and yeah we're talking to other people especially people doing creative things um, that people really do struggle with the same idea of like feeling like you need to be better than you, than you feel like you are. So have you dealt with imposter syndrome and kind of how, if you did, how did you overcome that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely dealt with it. Um, like when I was finishing college, I didn't go on any job interviews, um, because I was afraid of like sitting down with somebody across a desk and like they're asking me questions and in my mind they were going to like look at me and be like how did you even get into college or like how did you even get this interview um i think i had been able to do well growing up without ever having a lot of one-on-one -on -one with adults like i could take tests and turn them in and never having to um like something i talk about with teachers is uh, teachers are good at pulling students out who need like additional practice and they'll pull them over to like the teacher table and give them help um, but kids who do well are rarely called over to work with the teacher. And um, like I was rarely called over to work with a teacher. 
And you get this idea that sitting down and like working with an adult is bad. And so I have that, I have that, like, I felt very intimidated to like sit and, and actually like be interviewed. Um, and so that, like, that really prevented me from being successful as a young adult. And so as like, as I read about imposter syndrome, um, and I learned that this is like research with kids who, um, who are gifted and talented or who do well in school, um, like this is just a common pattern. Um, and so seeing that in myself, almost like becoming comfortable with like that pattern that, oh, I'm like experiencing that pattern now. Um, and just putting myself out there to experience small failures, I think was a way for me to overcome imposter syndrome. Um, as a teacher, it's like really, there's so many things to get good at really quickly that you can't help but be bad at a lot of things at first. Um, and so that's, for me, that student teaching experience, having a mentor teacher like in the room, watching me struggle constantly was both like humiliating, <laughs> but it was also like such a great experience to then like after the day ended, we would sit down and she would like help me get better, um, which is something that a lot of kids experience. Like that's what school is for a lot of people. But that was really the first time that I sat down with a teacher and like had some one-on-one -on -one instruction and like, like felt the journey of going from bad to good. Whereas I think a lot of my life, I just quickly got things. And so I didn't really get to experience that journey. Um, so, yeah, so I think that would, that, that's really like the key for me was for the first time really feeling myself go from, I'm not very good at this. Now I've got some help and now I'm feeling successful. Yeah. And that is not a fun place to be. It's completely uncomfortable, but it's also the best thing for you when you learn how to, how to fail and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think just getting used to that, like, you know, you get used to feelings and just knowing that, okay, I'm just like going through the same feeling again of just, I'm getting better at something, you know, and nothing feels better than like succeeding after going down a rocky road. Yep. Yep. Exactly. This kind of gets into like the whole mindset thing. You're probably familiar with that book by Carol Dweck. Yeah. And the, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. I think I relate to your story because that was kind of me too. I was a, a good test taker, never really struggled in high school, got to college and landed on my face. <laughs> and yeah. uh, when you fail for the first time, if you're used to succeeding, it's it rocks you. You like everything you know is wrong. And uh, when I read that book by Carol Dweck, I realized that this is something that I wanted to instill in my kids is learn how to deal with failure and learn how to overcome it. Recognize that failure isn't the the end. It just means we've hit a roadblock and we need to try a new way. And I, I think that's a skill that I've had to develop in my adult life. And the sooner you can learn that, the better. Yeah. And, and as an adult, a big part of that is learning how to praise people, whether they're kids or other adults. But as a teacher working with kids who were succeeding really easily, it's hard to praise them without just being very vague. Like I would say, great job. It's not specific enough to really help them know what they did well. Yeah, and exactly. Espe especially if something's really easy. If someone comes over and says, great job, it's hard, it's hard to know what to think of that praise. Whereas if you can say, hey, you, the way that you did this was really impressive. Um, and like giving specific praise is much more helpful. And especially avoiding that fixed mindset um, is like trying to zero in on like, here's why I'm praising you is I saw that you struggled with that part and then you got better at it. 
Yeah, and that's right out of the mindset book is praising the effort, not the result. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, and it's hard to do if kids don't aren't putting effort in because things are too easy for them. Another difficult thing with that is if you're used to succeeding at something and you get praised for doing a good job, you identify your self-worth with the ability to do the thing. Yeah. And then when you're not the top of your class anymore, you kind of have this identity crisis. Who am I? What am I good at? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I haven't really talked about this on air, but I think one of the best things that happened to me was I was a slow learner as a child. You know, when, yeah. when I first started, I mean, the stories in my family are legendary about how stupid I was, you know? but yeah, <laughs> but it took my mom a lot of effort to get me to read. And so at a fairly young age, I realized that I needed to like just imagine elementary school sparky you know he had systems and he had workflows you know and i yeah because I, I wanted to be good at my stuff and i i was a good student i graduated with honors and all that and but but it, it was an initial like challenge for me that is that that led to the habits that got me started if i had if it had been easy for me i'm not sure where i would have ended up yeah yeah and there's there's a lot of evidence that kids who do experience early struggle um like they make that transition from high school to college a lot easier. Um, and it's really because you've like practiced and you know how you know how to get help and yeah, you know how to make um, systems. Um, and so that, yeah, that's like a goal of what gifted and talented programs should be trying to do is to make school like to give to give kids that opportunity to struggle even like early in their in their school career. So how do we as adults give ourselves opportunity to struggle? For me, like saying yes to this podcast would be an example of myself. Like it's not, I like working alone in my little office in the corner here and just like working on the same thing all the time, um, which is part of like what I think we're going to talk about is like being able to find that success in something is really important, but then also occasionally branching out and like doing things that aren't like right in your wheelhouse. Those are opportunities to you know, experience something that you're not used to and try something that might be, might be a little bit scary or, you know, it's just not in your wheelhouse. And sometimes you find things that you didn't know you would like by doing that. So it is like, it, there's a mix, I think, of pursuing the thing that you're focused on while also leaving the door open for opportunities to try new things as they come along. Yeah, we have a a thing in our house called the hard things rule. We've got it on our fridge. We totally ripped it off from, I think it was Angela Duckworth in, uh, in grit, but everybody in our family has something that they're not good at, that they're trying to get better at. So for a while it was for me learning Spanish because I was terrible at learning a second language in high school. Then I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica, couldn't say anything, couldn't communicate with anybody there. And I'm like, I need to figure this out. So got back, downloaded Duolingo, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> but just trying something that you, because especially as kids, if you watch a kid who you ask them to do something that they know they're not good at, their natural tendency is to avoid it. And it's very evident, like they don't want to do this. But when you get them to do it and put forth the effort and not judge their success or failure based on the the outcome, it's kind of cool to see them kind of adapt and at first they don't know what to do but then they start to figure things out and they get better at it 
our 10 year old in particular, he's much more fluent in Spanish than I am because he, he saw it and he, is, he tried it. And at first he wasn't very good at it, but then all of a sudden like it, it clicked and the lights come on, you know, and it really makes him come alive. And that's really cool to, to see. But I think you never really get to those moments of inspiration or revelation until you try something that you don't initially think that you can do. Yeah. I, you mentioned travel there. And I think that's, that's been something for me as an adult. Uh, my wife and I have done a lot of traveling because I had all these um, travel miles from when I was consulting. Like going, yeah, going to countries where you don't speak the language. Um, for me, that puts me in a place where like you just, you have to talk to people. You have to figure out a way to communicate. Um, and it is like, it is a struggle, but it's also like so fun. Um, and to just, to be outside of the normal routine. Um, yeah, for me, like travel has been a huge way of, um, of pushing myself out of a comfort zone. This episode of Focus is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com to get high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN service and get three months for free. Have you ever watched The Office? If you have, you probably know it's based on a UK series, also called The Office. But what if I told you there are nine other countries with their own versions of The Office that you may just love? Well, you probably didn't know about them because they're not usually available in your country. But you can access the content available around the world with no geo restrictions when you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from nearly 100 different countries, giving you access to content that isn't available in your region. If you like watching shows or movies, ExpressVPN is a must-have. For less than $7 a month, ExpressVPN can let you access thousands of new shows and movies on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, and tons of other streaming services. It's a no-brainer, and it couldn't be easier to use. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app on your computer or TV, select a location, and hit connect. I've been using ExpressVPN to watch the Star Trek stuff out of Netflix in the UK because in the UK, it's on Netflix and it's very good. I also rely on ExpressVPN to help me anonymize my internet data. Don't be creepy. I just want to be safe. ExpressVPN is also incredibly fast and doesn't slow down your connection, meaning you can stream content in HD quality with no issues. So get the most out of your streaming services today at expressvpn.com slash focused. If you go to that URL, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash focused. Go there now, expressvpn.com slash focused to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Focused and all of Relay FM. Now, Ian, one of the things you do is a quarterly retreat. And it's interesting because, you know, you've got this business where you're working on your own all the time, but you also have retreats. And I, I thought it would be fun to talk through that a little bit and kind of get the story. Yeah, so this is something I started doing um, like two and a half years ago, uh, right after my son was born. And I'd heard I'd heard about it from a, from a several different people, but um, there's a podcast called Zen Founder. Um, with Sherry Walling, um, and she's a therapist, and her husband is an entrepreneur, um, and they had like kind of jointly came up with this um, like a framework around founders of small businesses going on annual or you know twice a year retreats, um, and so a lot of this came 
out of just reading about what they were doing. So the the goal of it is to take time to like work on your business in a way that's different from the day to day. So it's not like a vacation. Um, you're doing a bunch of thinking, but you're not doing your day to day work. Um, so for me, I don't I don't take my laptop. I'll take an iPad, um, but I want to avoid being able to just do what I do every day. And instead, I want to like zoom out. Um, and my goal when I so for me, these became quarterly because I was getting so much out of it. Um, that I was like, I should do this more than once a year or twice a year. Um, and so for me, going going away for a couple nights um, and trying to come up with a plan for the next three months that's going to guide me um, until the next retreat. Um, and so the, for me, there's just a lot of like reflecting on what the last time has been like um, and trying to look for patterns where I, where I see like, I keep saying that I want to do something and I haven't done it. Um, and, I, and I've been saying that for like two years. Um, so that either I need to st- figure out a way to start that or like let that go. Um, and there's a lot of what I would say are like duh moments where I realize something that's obvious, but I would never, I would never have the thought if I just sit down on the, my computer and just start my daily work. Um, so it's really about like changing your context um, and looking at, for me, like both my personal life and the business um, from a much more zoomed out uh, point of view. Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like, you know, especially if you're self-employed, but even if you're in a big company, you've got to think of your, you know, your production or your, your worker person and your manager person, you know, and, and it's so easy to get stuck in production. Mm -hmm. You know, you make videos. I mean, you're like, Oh, I'm away from the family. I don't have uh, the, you know, the two year old here for two days, I could make so much video, but instead you stop and think about, well, what am I doing? What makes sense? What should I change? And, um, everybody that does it has the exact same reaction you do, but it's so hard to remember that. It's like, I don't know. It's like you, your memory gets wiped after you walk away and it's really hard to like make that into a habit. That's why I'm so impressed that you do it quarterly. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's had a really big effect. It's really how I started realizing like, okay, if I could like the three months or six months, it gives you enough time where you can set a larger goal and really like start to work towards it. So for me, it was like, well, how, how can I transition away from traveling towards just doing this video subscription site, you know, without having a huge drop in our income? Mary, my wife is like, she, she, <laughs> she's very supportive in me going away. Like I feel bad leaving her with our kid, but I think she has seen how much it's impacted um, me like personally and in terms of what I'm doing um, creatively that um, she's like very encouraging that I go take time. And then, and then she also will sometimes take a retreat of her own. I like to go somewhere like you don't want to go somewhere like a big city, like Las Vegas would be a bad place for a retreat. Um, but like going, I live in Oregon. So there's lots of forests that are not too far away. Um, just like there's tons of Air, Airbnbs um, in this area. Uh, but you could also go to the beach or you could go to a desert or just like going somewhere that's kind of like monkish, you know, where people have like traditionally gone away to do a lot of thinking. Um, and I like to do two nights because I think you need like one full day at least. And I think I, I don't think like three days would be that useful. Like there's I think there's diminishing returns, but at least having one full day. And uh, that first night when I get there, I I usually start with like a personal reflection. Um, and, you know, you're, you're like business and your personal life are very intertwined, uh, especially if you're running your own thing. 
Um, and so really starting with the personal life. And I got these two questions from, um, from Sherry Wallings. Uh, she has a PDF about these founder retreats, but um, the two, one of the sets of questions that she's used are like to ask yourself um, what's giving you life and what is taking life from you. Um, and I find those questions to be like so easy to answer. They're like really sharp questions where more so than just like, what do you like doing? What do you not like doing? But like the idea of something is like taking my life from me. Um, like right away, I can say, oh, it's all these emails or this paperwork I have to fill out or, you know, these plane trips that I have to go on all the time. Um, and then the idea of like what is giving me life, I find that really easy to answer also. And then that to me, that just starts to shape what I'm going to be thinking about is like, obviously, how do I get rid of these things that are taking life? And how do I expand the things that are giving me life? Now, Mike, you do something similar, right? I do. Uh, Ian, you and I are kindred spirits, I feel. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, I do. And I actually created a course on my framework for this. I call it a personal retreat because you mentioned a resource here And it sounds, I'm not real familiar with this one. It sounds like this is a founder's framework or for entrepreneurs, but I recognize the value in doing this just personally. You don't have to be running a a company or even a side hustle in order to benefit from taking some time to step back and consider what's working and what's not. I love those questions that you have, what is giving you life, what is taking life. I think I'm going to add those to mine. Uh, I use a set of questions, which I picked up a, a while back, uh, which is what, is, what should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I keep doing? One of the keys for me is picking something every single time to stop doing, because <laughs> that creates the space for me to engage in some, some of the other opportunities that come my way that I'm, I'm interested in. Uh, like you, Ian, I do it for for two nights because I feel like one whole day is really what you need to let your mind unravel these things fully. Do you have any advice for people on like where they should start with this sort of thing if they're interested in this this concept? Yeah. Um, so you don't have to. It doesn't have to be fancy or like you don't have to go to any place really that special. Like it's really about getting away. Um, I think is the is the whole thing, and then. Each one that I've done has been so different um, that it's it's hard to say like exactly how you should do it um, because it's like it's so dependent on how like just how my life is at that moment. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like getting getting away, unplugging, so like taking like the minimal internet connected devices. Actually, the first time I I did this, I stayed in like a little side house. Um, out in this kind of rural area near the coast in Oregon. And the internet situation was relatively weak. Like I was getting it off of the main house. Um, but I I thought that that was a real benefit because I couldn't really spend a lot of time fiddling around on websites or like watching videos. Um, and I, I could access things if I really needed to, but there's like a, a price to pay. <laughs> like I had to wait for it to load. Um, and so I think, <laughs> I don't know if that's something you can engineer into it, but really like resisting the urge to just start playing around on the internet. Um, doing like, if people have like, if you want to take your pens, it's like the perfect thing to try to move away from just typing all day. Yeah. So for me, like that's like starting with that personal reflection is just like thinking about 
yeah, and you don't you don't have to own a business. Like if I were still a teacher, I would I wish that I had done this when I was still teaching. It's like, what is it about my life and my job that's really like feeding me and what is like slowly killing me? Yeah, I love I love those those questions because I feel it frames it so simply. Anybody can can pick that up and run with it. Basically, what do I want to do more of and what do I want to do less of? Yeah. And you did you say you do what you want to stop doing? Start yep. doing, start doing, stop doing, keep doing. I started doing that with my personal retreats. My wife and I do that in our weekly family meetings too. Like yeah. Those questions, they're they're general, and so you can make them mean whatever you want. And it's kind of cool. You spend enough time thinking about those. What sort of answers you your brain comes up with? Yeah, I've actually ended up with categories like that. Um, so so for me, the final morning that I'm there, I, I try to write up what I've what I've like landed on. Um, I call it the shareholder report <laughs> and it's mostly just for my wife. So I can like tell her, you know, I could give her something like, this is what like my plan is and what I've been thinking about. You're deliverable for being out of the house for two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she gets a kick out of it, but it is fun. Like actually trying to write something up that last morning that I'm there and, and try to like solidify all of my thoughts. But I also have a, I do have a continue doing stop doing and start doing categories. Um, but then I also have a continue not doing category where mm. I like revisit. And and after you've done this a few times, you can look back on previous notes and documents from other retreats in terms of like focusing. I like the idea of saying, I'm still not going to start doing this thing. Um, and like for me, I've had this idea of doing a podcast and talking about education with people, um, like people's early education experiences, but it's never felt like the right time to start it. So like that keeps going in the continue not doing um, category. So it's like still there, but I'm just choosing to not do it again. That's the most important category is the things that you continually say no to. Because if you were to just say yes to every good idea that pops up in your in your head, then you're going to be stretched too thin and you're not going to be able to do anything of any real quality. Going back to like the whole conversation we were having before the break about the growth mindset, that's really the key to developing that stuff is being able to focus and put in an honest effort and not just check the box there. I did that. But what did I learn from this process? It's almost like if you don't take the time to reflect and figure out what went well, what could have gone better? It's like, what's the point? We're just going to keep doing the same things and getting the same results. Yeah, I actually, keep, I keep a log of things I say no to. Just this morning, I had a good friend who real smart guy wanted me to do a project with him. And I told him no. So I, I actually have a text file where I just write them down every time I say no. And it's for me, it's kind of a good reminder when someone sends me a request to do something, I'll look at all the other stuff I've said no to. So I, it's like a kind of my little contract. I have to read that list before I'm allowed to say yes. And yeah. it, it actually really helps because then I remember, because I definitely am of the personality type that wants to say yes all the time. Yeah. The, the momentum list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. I'm yeah. going to use that. You know, now I want to talk to you about getting away for this. So I've been, for a long time, I've been doing monthly kind of review and planning and quarterly review and planning. And usually I do it on the last Sunday before the event. Like today, as we record this, it's September 1st. We're recording early this month for Focus Podcast. And uh, just over the last weekend, I spent a bunch of time doing monthly planning for September where I asked a lot of the same questions you guys are asking, but I did it in my backyard in a comfortable chair. Um, 
I have never done the thing where you go and stay away for a couple of days. I've tried uh, at one time I even booked a, a room and then at the last minute I canceled it because there was just, you know, family stuff going on. But how big of a difference does it make getting away guys? Yeah, I think it's key. I mean, it does, it removes you from your usual routines. I think, I think that's the real key of it is you're in a new place. You're away from everybody you're usually around. I actually did an at-home retreat in March, like right as the sure. pandemic was starting. And we didn't know, you know, is it safe to go to hotels or anything? Um, so I did, I just stayed in my bedroom for two days and just like worked like on the bed and away from the computer. And I still got, I definitely got a lot out of it, but I'm still, like I'm still in the house. I can still hear my toddler making noise. You know, I still like have dinner with the family. Um, and so I'm, I am still in the same context. Um, so I've just found like getting away from the usual routine. Um, it just, it, it gives me a different experience. Um, and I, I do think I just have more time, like even into the evening, I do have time to just be thinking in a way that I wouldn't have if I were staying at home. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the same. You can get some benefit from it, but you're not going to get the full benefit from it because I would argue the value in changing the location and the context, you hit the nail on the head there, Ian. Like What that does is it forces you to think about things differently. All of your routines and the, the things that your brain would naturally gravitate towards, all those distractions, are right there. It would take me a Herculean amount of, uh, of willpower to be able to do that from home. <laughs> There's no way I could just sit on the bed and, and ask myself these questions. I, w- I would go nuts. I got to be in a different place. So kudos to you that you were able to get anything out of that. Yeah. Well, I've, it was a very unique time where I was like, is my business going to implode right now? <laughs> like, so I really, I did have a lot of uh, motivation to, to do some thinking. Forced focus. <laughs> yeah. And I can tell you my own personal experience is like every year my birthday, I spend like three hours somewhere else and I do kind of mm-hmm. my own personal review of my year and what I want to do. And I always do that like at the beach or in the mountains or something, but I, I just have never got to the point of, which is kind of silly. I mean, you, it's not that expensive to get an Airbnb in the, in the mountains or the beach or somewhere for a weekend. Um, yeah. I, I always feel a little guilty too, though, leaving my wife. But I mean, my kids are practically grown, and at some point, I guess I have to be a. <laughs> I don't well, know. I, yeah, I, I I get that. You know, I, I wanted to call that out because Ian mentioned that you send your wife on versions of this too. I I do the same thing, and I think that's very very important for this to work. Is there's got to be some reciprocity here? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mary just went to an Airbnb for a couple of days, and just she took her sewing machine and just you know, take a couple of days off. Yeah. So I, I think you're, you're making a good point. Um, but, and I'm, and so you started doing it every six months and you ended up doing it quarterly, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good, for me, at least that's a good, um, like size, like chunk of time where I can, I can have a goal and I can break it down into a bunch of, you know, individual tasks that I can do. And I, and I do feel like at the end of those three months, I'm sort of, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, and I'm like, I'm ready to, to renew my focus for the next quarter. Yeah. I feel like the, um, that you need this introspection, you know, you need the manager to work on the business or your life. And, uh, I absolutely think this is important. 
you're just opening my eyes a little bit about the importance of making it offsite. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that manager. So I, that the book E-Myth Revisited has, he talks about these three like personas um, you have if you're, when you're like running a business and that's like the craftsperson who does the day-to-day work and then the manager who's supposed to be organizing the craftsperson. And then there's like the visionary or the entrepreneur who is like setting the larger goals and they're all like in conflict with each other. <laughs> but, um, but I feel like these retreats are important to think in that visionary mindset of where I'm, I'm thinking like much longer term and then like breaking it down into tasks is kind of like the manager role. And then I'm free day to day to just be the craftsperson who can look at the task and then just get to work. Yeah. Recently I wrote a post to Max Barkey about how I've started um, in my journaling system, tagging whatever I do with one of three tags. Everything I do during the day is either a maker, a manager, or a consumer. You know, at the end of the day, everything I produce. And it's been a really eye-opening way to look at your day. Instead of looking at, you know, your time, look at your tasks based on role. Yeah. And, you know, trying to find that balance because you need to be a maker. That's how you pay for the shoes. But you also need to be a manager. In my head, I guess I'm manage, I'm combining manager and visionary into the one role but you need to you need to you need to serve all those masters if you're going to make it work yeah what's interesting to me with those three distinctions is that the craftsperson needs to be organized and have a vision in order to do the be motivated to do the work that they're going to do and that's been my big takeaway from these personal retreats is that every single time that i do one i come back more motivated to do the work. Do you find the same sort of thing, Ian? I'm excited for the next day. Um, and it's, it's for me, it's the hardest part of the retreat is to not start doing the work because I'll have this like epiphany early in the day and I just, I feel like I just want to get started on it. Um, and so that for me, my least, like my least successful retreats, I've allowed myself to start working um, and then I regret it because I, I feel like I didn't really flesh out the thinking. But yeah, it gets me very motivated to start tackling these new ideas. And then, like I said, I feel like at the end of the three months, I am sort of starting to not really know what to work on anymore. This episode of the Focused Podcast is brought to you by Blinkist. Read 3,000 plus books in 15 minutes or less. Start your seven-day free trial at Blinkist.com slash focused. With our ever-changing routines, there's never been a better time to learn something new. But with thousands of options available, finding the best way to learn can be challenging. I want to tell you about an app I use called Blinkist. Blinkist works on your phone, your tablet, or in your web browser, and it gives you the best key takeaways from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories. It condenses them down into what they call Blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. And now Blinkist offers its members even more, including exclusive original podcasts from top authors and creative thinkers. There's a series in there by Seth Godin that I've really been enjoying. You still get access to the entire Blinkist library with your membership, and now you can also dive deeper into full-length nonfiction audiobooks at a special discounted price. Successful people are known for reading a lot of books, and with Blinkist, you can finish a book during your commute, lunch break, or even just a walk around the park. I like Blinkist because there's so many great books out there that have good ideas for me, but I just don't have time to read them all, so I look at Blinkist as like my audition process. 
I'll cover a book in 15 minutes. And sometimes I feel like I get enough out of it with that 15 minutes that I can record my ideas from the book and move on. Other times I'll listen to it and like it so much that I'll go and read the entire book. But Blinkist is that great first step for me. Now, if you want to give Blinkist a try, why not try a popular bestseller uh, like Why Sleep Matters by Matthew Walker or The Three-Minute Rule by Brant Pinvidic? Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, to start your free seven-day trial. That's right. Get in there seven days, kick the tires, and see what you think. And you get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks, which are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash focused to get 25% off that premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Go there now and check it out, Blinkist.com slash focused. And thank you to Blinkist for your support of Focused and all of Relay FM. So Ian, in the last section, we were talking about the retreats and how that brought clarity and, and vision and focus might be another word to the, the work that you're going to do. But I'm curious, what does the word focus mean to you? Uh, so I read, I read the book Essentialism a couple years ago. And uh, in that book, it's all about like paring things down to just working on the essential. And he has, he comes back to this idea that the word priority is singular, but, but we almost always hear it used in like a plural sense. Like these are our priorities. Um, and so his big emphasis is that you can really, you can only have one priority, but I, I do think the word focus is even more appropriate for that because like a, like a camera lens can't, can't focus on like multiple things. Um, and so when, when you are focusing you really have to focus on one thing at a time. And we kind of, we, we lie to ourselves if we list like five focuses, foci, <laughs> um, which is what I had, what I had been doing until I started going on these retreats was really like, I had like four or five different like sub businesses within my business. And like, I look back on it and I don't even know how I managed to get anything done. And I've, I put this image in in our outline that's from Essentialism, where he has like all these arrows coming out of uh, the circle labeled energy. And then he combines all those arrows length. And inst instead of a bunch of short arrows, you get this one really long arrow. Um, and that like image really, um, really impacted me. Like the idea that, oh, yeah, I could be taking the same whatever 10 units of energy that I have and putting it towards one thing and i'm like actually going to make a lot of progress on it yeah and i'll go ahead and put that in as show art for this chapter so if you're okay. watching it on a if you're listening on a podcast app you'll be able to see that image i found the word like pruning to be really useful um on a couple of retreats i had gone on like that that sort of became the focus of i don't need to start doing more things like i need to look at what i can prune away um and if you think about like gardening and like the idea of cutting off parts of a plant is like healthy for the plant and you'll get, you know, the plant will bear better fruit. Um, and I've like, that's something I've really found is as I've started focus specifically focus on fewer things, the impact has been, um, to me really impressive. I, I remember reading that section where he talks about priority being singular and that really impacting me first time that I, I read it. 
he makes the point that in the English language, it didn't even have a plural definition until I think it was around the Industrial Revolution when people started talking about priorities instead of a single priority, because it literally means the the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that idea coupled with an, a, the concept of like boiling water, this just kind of like crystallized it for me. You know, if you are, if your focus is based on this image, you know, pulled in a bunch of different directions, you make a little bit of progress this direction, then you go do something else, you make a little bit of progress there. You're never really going to get a whole lot. You're not going to move the needle very far in a particular direction. And I think that you could use the analogy of like heating up a, a pot of water and at 212 degrees, it's going to boil. But until then, it's just going to be hot water. And focus is the thing that allows you to go in the one direction, keep that that pot on the, the stove long enough that it gets to that point where it actually changes and it becomes a different state. And as I am, was reflecting on that in my own life, all of the different side projects and things that I've done where I look back and I tend to be a little bit hard on myself. Like, man, I really didn't give that a fair shot because I put in a little bit of effort, but I really didn't sink my teeth into it. I never really got it to that boiling point to see what it actually could have became. I feel like that's a really powerful idea and very, very, uh, very powerful coupled with the whole idea of the retreats, where if you pick one thing, this is what you're going to work on. And then we're going to really see what's possible with this thing. Do you take like a single goal then from your retreats? You focus on it for the next three months or how how does that process work for you? Do you have different areas of your life and you pick like two or three? Yeah, the, the last couple of retreats, I have tried to pick like one like main like theme or like like a focus. Um, and it, it does like you probably would want to do one for like a personal life and then the business um, maybe do those separately. But um, yeah, like for one, one quarter or maybe two quarters in a row, I did the idea of pruning and looking at um, my blog, which by that point I had like 500 posts and I just, I kept writing and adding to it. Um, and then I looked at like Google Analytics um, and like, like really long term, like looking over two or three years and, and seeing that 80-20 principle where there's like five posts that I've written that get 80% of the traffic to the website and realizing, oh yeah, like I kind of knew this, but I never really, really thought about it very deeply. And so the idea of like pruning away, I don't need 500 blog posts. I should be focusing on these ones that are bearing so much fruit already. And like, could I rewrite this? And could I put it instead of just having a blog homepage, could I, could I make um, like some key articles that I want people to look at first? Um, and so that that's like a good three month project is going through rewriting blog posts, combining them. Um, and so something like that. Yeah, I could you could probably work on that for three months or six months. And that's, I think, like the 80 20 principle. Right. But if you continue that thought, you 80 20, the 80 20, you can continue to pare this down until you eventually end up with the single thing that moves the needle the most. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that is easy to overlook when you're just trying to keep all the plates spinning. But it's something that we really need to be honest with ourselves and apply to every area of our life if we really want to make any progress in any of those directions. Do you have a personal example that you'd be willing to share of like, this is the the single thing that I want to focus on, not from a business context? 
So there's there's another. I'll try to find this post and link to it. Um, but there, I saw in like an annual goal um, like framework. Um, but picking picking something like um, like culture was was an example of like we're going to try to do more cultural activities in the next three months or six months and and like picking that as a goal and then you can start thinking about well what are things in the city that we've never done like are there museums we've never been to or there's an opera here we've never been to an opera um so so picking something like that um cultural goals or um one time i wanted to like start watching like older movies um and if you if you pick something like that as a goal then you can really break it down into tasks in the same way that I did with um, with my business, or I know one time I tried to I wanted to do more like friend hangouts. So like, if that becomes a goal, like I want to see my friends more often. Then thinking like, well, we could like host dinners, or we could set up, um, you know, a monthly hangout at a restaurant. Um, and so I think you can you can do those same ideas where you come up with like a one word theme almost, and then break it down into concrete tasks, even in your personal life. I love those examples. I've done something similar. My wife and I uh, decided at the beginning of this year to start hosting a kibbutz with a couple other couples where they would come over. They've, they've got kids too. Kids would go downstairs, they'd play together. And basically the rule is you can't come up unless you're bleeding because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the adults are going to sit and we're going to have an intentional conversation. So someone throws out like a prompt even before everybody gets there that you're thinking about. And it really just guides the conversation. So it eliminates all of the really small talk around it. And because the goal of these, these get togethers was develop these deeper relationships with, with uh, people that we, we wanted in our lives. And uh, I think this is something that's so easy to overlook if you don't take the time <laughs> to think about it. Like, what changes do I want to make in my personal life? And setting goals in those areas is arguably even more important than setting them in your business. Yeah. Yeah. So this, the idea that I, I started with was um, the art of nonconformity, who, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Chris Guablu. <laughs> Um, but he had this idea of, yeah, you start, you have like three to seven areas in your life where you want to try to do something new. Um, and so that could be like health, learning, friends, family, finances, things like that. And then really like purposefully, that's where I think I would have stopped is almost like a new year's resolution. Like I want to be healthier this year. Um, but instead like really breaking it down into what, what is that going to look like on a weekly basis? Um, if I want to be healthier or if I want to learn more. And that's where we got the idea of like cultural outings or going through the like top 100 movies of all time um, and just like picking one out each week. Yeah, it, it's like uh, goals are great, but you've got you've to gotta have something on the ground to make them into something. Yeah. <laughs> but from the other direction, if you start at the bottom and say, well, I'm going to start making a list of things I'm going to do, but you don't really have a goal that you're headed toward. It's just as bad. So it really seems to me like those two have to exist together in order to be at all useful. Yeah. You've got to have the reason why you want to do the things to create the motivation to follow through and do the things. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I always think about it like a sailboat. You know, I'm going to have a sailboat. Am I going to sit in port and figure out how to tie knots on my sailboat? Or am I going to go somewhere? And if I'm going to go somewhere, where am I going? Because if you just leave port and you don't know where you're going, you're just at sea, you know? 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and if you're at sea and you're really good at tying knots, you're still not going anywhere. And um, I don't know, that's just kind of like in my head, uh, the way it works. Now, you so you do these on a quarterly basis, but I would assume that some of these habits you form, which is kind of what you're describing, then they just become, you know, part of your your operating system. And then that gives you the freedom to pick something else going forward. I've never been super great with like the task manager. Um, like I always end up just making a big list of things. Um, and I feel like that works well with the quarterly retreat is like on, on the retreat, instead of doing the work, I, I try to generate a bunch of specific tasks that I can do. And then I do have like a long, you know, quarter two list of things I'd like to try to do. And then at the beginning of a week, I can go through and pick a few of those things out. Um, and then those become like my daily or my weekly tasks that I want to get done. Now, as you are creating new systems and habits, though, uh, those do add up. So even though you maybe at the beginning, you set a, a goal to establish a journaling habit, and you do that, great. But that's one more thing you've got to do. So eventually, you get to the point where you have to start saying no to things. How do you do that? Do you have any sort of framework for it? Or just when it feels like it's too much, you out of desperation say, no, I can't take anymore? <laughs> I, I think for me, it's a lot easier to make a decision when I've, I've made a decision in the past to be like very black and white with things. Um, like when I was trying to stop, um, stop the travel, first I started just trying to limit to events that, that like matched what I wanted to do. Uh, but that led to every time someone sent me like a request, I would have to go through this whole thought process and try to figure out is, does this event match up with what I want to do? Um, and so I, for me, I found like being 100% in on something or 100% out makes it really easy to know if I'm going to say yes or no. And it makes the no a lot easier because I can just say, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, rather than like trying to explain why I don't want to do it. Um, and, I, and like I found this true when I've like tried to diet or um, it's if I just say, oh, I'm going to try to eat healthier, it doesn't work as well as when I've said I'm like, I'm not going to eat any carbs like that. Either yes or no decision makes it a lot easier to say no to a bag of chips if if I say I'm not going to eat any carbs. So for me saying no if I've made a rule for myself already, then saying no to other people becomes a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you need to be saying no more often. Yeah. And for me, like putting it on my website, like I'm not, these are things that I'm not doing anymore. And these are things that I am doing. Um, just makes it a lot. Like, like you said, David, I do. I want to say yes to things like I want to be helpful and, and I want to be out there trying new things out. But um, but having that as a rule so that other people can can see that it's it is like a blanket rule um, for me, like it just takes a lot less energy for me to say no if it is a black or white rule. Yeah. And where you can make those, it's great. Unfortunately, you can't do it everywhere. But maybe that's one of the benefits of the retreat is it gives you a chance to make a few more of those rules. Yeah. Ian, uh, when we were talking before we recorded, you told me that you have a weekly written paper planner that you rely on. And you know what? 
we can't let that go by on the focus podcast tell us about your planner ian uh it's it's really simple it's just a weekly calendar my wife had bought me like a set of stickers a couple years ago that was just like monday through friday um days blocked out on them um and i i found it really like that week view to me is really helpful um like a month is is too much context um and one day like isn't enough but to be able to map out just like five days in a row and see that the shape of the week for me really fits with how i work um and so i i ordered i got through all those stickers but i ordered this like spiral bound weekly scheduler that i think i shared the link already yeah i'll put it in the notes yeah but yeah so you can just you can just flip it over and then you can just see the week and it's got like a little to-do list on the side which is where i put the the bigger projects that are I might not get to that this week, but they're there as like things I could do. And then I just like the the tactile nature of this because I can only write so much in each day. So so to me, it's like a like a physical way of showing of like limiting how much I expect from myself in a week and then within each day. I love that. I have a rule for myself where I limit the number of tasks that I try to get done in a day to five. Uh, what sort of limits? I know you mentioned like the the paper format helps you set those limits, but what are some of those limits for you? Is it just whatever fits in the page or do you have numbers associated with things? Yeah, I I try to do like three things. Like I'm I'm working on these videos. So usually I have a video and so I'll I'll try to get to a certain stopping point. Um, I usually have some kind of administrative work that I have to do. Um, and then the calendar is broken into AM PM for each day. So I can put like two things in the morning and then one thing in the afternoon. It's hard for me to get away from the idea of I'm going to work a certain number of hours and instead think about like, I'm going to get these things done and then I'm done. Like that feels really weird to me (laughs) to not go all the way to like five o'clock. Um, but yeah, just having like a reasonable number of things to get done. And if I get them done, then I can stop working for the day. Um, that's been a very freeing, like having to work from home all of a sudden, instead of going out to a co-working space, having just like a, a smaller than usual number of things that I want to get done um, has really like freed me up from a lot of stress of like feeling like, oh, I got to get all the stuff done. And then my toddler is like calling for me outside the door. Um, and so, yeah, limiting it to just like for me, three tasks has helped reduce a lot of the like self expectation. Can you describe that transition? I think that's an important point, which we've talked a little bit before, but it doesn't make the voice in your head any less loud when you've done four hours of work, you've accomplished your list, and you know emotionally maybe you're drained. But you still, the voice in your head is telling you, you've got four more hours to put in. How do yeah. you <laughs> overcome that? Yeah. Um, part of it for me is moving. I've moved away from, like when I was doing the speaking work, like I had to, I obviously I had to be somewhere in order to be doing the work. Um, and now as I've moved to the subscription business, um, like I, I have had to change my mindset and like realize the business is like running, even if I'm not really working on it. Um, and I do have a VA who helps with a lot of paperwork and some of the like frontline support. 
Um, and so that has been something I've like had to get used to is the idea that there's somebody who's helping me and like they're, they're handling some of those, um, those like timely issues that I'm, that I might feel like rushed, like I have to get to. It is very hard even, even now, um, to be able to step away from something. But I think like, like, it sounds weird, but like having a little checkbox next to each thing and like being able to check them off and then like cross the day off that that feels very final <laughs> is to be like this day is over and cross it out on my little calendar. Um, I, I, that does help me feel like I've done all that I need to do today and I can like exit the bedroom. Yeah. I do a similar task, but I do it digitally. Um, and I just, you know, I have all my automation tools and whatnot, but I'm sharing my little week calendar with you guys and the, and the robot here. But the, um, to me, I find that just, on Sunday, running those blocks and figuring out the week ahead of you, whether you do it on paper or digitally, um, it's what enables me to say no. It's like, okay, smart guy, you know, somebody wants you to do something. Look at the this week. Where are you going to do it? You know, and yeah. um, that I think is something that everybody should have. And and it, this isn't a paper. You must do paper thing. I think it, paper is great. I think uh, digital is fine as well, especially for calendaring. Um, but it is, uh, it's something that you should have. I mean, you should start Monday with a, with a really good idea of what's going to happen on Thursday afternoon, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and having like the retreat plays into that because I do have a larger plan. Um, and if I get an email from someone who's like, oh, I really wish you had this topic covered. Like my instinct is to drop everything and start working on that, <laughs> but to be able to like put that in a think about later pile and stay on my focus. I, I don't know an easy way to do that. Like it takes some kind of discipline and just like getting used to this, that it's, it's okay not to drop everything if somebody requests something. Um, but that it's just, it's been a very freeing, it's, it's just really freed me up to be able to work on what I think is going to benefit the business in the long term um, without necessarily saying no to those things, but they are things that I can come back to later when I'm doing a bigger review. Mike, how do you do that? How do you block your week? Is it in paper as well? Uh, it is, although I don't do it weekly. I maybe should, but I, as part of my personal retreat, do a, I have a template where I plan my ideal week and I kind of rough out on there where my work blocks are going to happen, where my spending time with my family blocks are going to happen. And I have that kind of in the back of my mind as I time block each day in my paper notebook. And uh, I really just draw a line from top to bottom on the left side, put in the hours from 7 to 9 p.m. and force myself to block off in at least one hour increments the different modes I'm going to be in. Then to the right of that, I've got my task list. So I'm not necessarily fleshing out the tasks on the calendar themselves because mine is more fluid. Uh, I know some people who will make their plan and then they'll track what actually happens. I don't really, I know it's going to get messed up. <laughs> I'm not really worried about that as long as the stuff gets done at the end of the day. So I just rough it out and then I feel free to call audibles and move things around. Like today I had on here that I was going to uh, go for a bike ride because I try to get outside and exercise every day after we recorded this. But I got done with a task a little bit early, so I actually went before, you know, and yeah. I'm not 
not writing that down on my my calendar, but uh, it just kind of sets the intention at the beginning of the day. And I find that when I don't do that, those are the days when I find myself kind of scrambling and thinking constantly, like, what should I be doing right now? Because I haven't taken the, it sounds stupid, just like five minutes to write this out, but that really does provide clarity for everything going forward. Yeah, that's, like for me, I have legal blocks during the day. You know, I still have a law practice I'm running smaller than it used to be, but it still still exists. And the um but I have blocks of time that I know will get filled, but I don't know what's gonna go in them yet, but I reserve that time. If I'm gonna have this as a commitment in my life, I need to have time for it. You know, same thing with like customer service issues. So I, I understand what you mean there, but I, I do like the idea of knowing going in that yeah, I am Thursday afternoon gonna have some time for this this thing. You know, I'm not sure exactly what I'll be doing in it yet, but it's there. Ian, one of the things you said to me that was inspiring, I think when you were a guest on Mac Power Users years ago, was, you know, you got the iPad, and the way you took on the iPad was you would look at it. Well, you explained it for us. You know, you had a distinction for iPad work versus Mac work that I thought was really useful. Yeah, well, it comes back to that idea of the craftsperson versus the manager or the um, visionary, where I feel like if I'm on if I'm on the Mac, I'm doing craftsperson stuff, like I'm I'm writing or I'm building the videos that I make or working on the website. Um, and then if I'm on the iPad, it's just some of that stuff's impossible to do, and some of it's just a lot harder. Um, and so the iPad works a lot better for me as like a manager tool, where I can check in on email or I can, like I mentioned, I have a VA, we can send messages back and forth or I can do planning. Um, and so I think that separating those two tools out into what they, what they do well, um, is another way to try to separate those two jobs that I have within the job. And, and just to add on what you said to me that really stuck with me was if I'm doing something on my iPad and I realize I can't do it on my iPad, I ask myself, is this something that I need to be doing at all? Like, you know, yeah. and I think that is a great little filter to run when you have limitations on your technology or your available tools. If you need specialized tools to do something, are you the person that should be wielding that specialized tool? Yeah. And really, um, like at the, t- at the time that we talked about that, I was thinking a lot about, should I offload the video production more? Um, and, and as I've gone through that, I have gone back and forth, but I, I feel like that's like my core contribution to the business is like, is how I build these videos. So that is something that I have my whole like desk set up is, is to record and and make those videos, but things like, um, filling out a bunch of paperwork is not really something that I should be spending a lot of time on. And, and it is harder to do that on the iPad for me. Um, so that is something where it's like, okay, I can forward this email to somebody who can fill it out for me. So I do, I do still think in that way, like there are things that are a little bit harder on the iPad are things I should, I should consider. Is this really something that's worth my time? I like that. I also, it sounds like you're using some sort of context switching based on the device. So I'm curious uh, if you don't mind explaining that a little bit more, I know you kind of mentioned craftsperson work is happening on the computer. S- sounds like some of the higher level thinking type stuff is happening on the the iPad. But how do you balance that with what the devices are good at? So, for example, I would argue the phone is not a great place for email. Do you 
do email on your phone or what sort of boundaries have you put around what's accessible where i don't i don't really use my phone for work unless there's unless it's a weird situation like if i'm traveling i might check email on there but for the most part i don't um i don't use my phone for work uh, and a lot of that is because it is harder to use there's definitely a context switching where i like to i like to write on the ipad which isn't really manager work um but it does fit the device well and that especially worked better when I could go to a coffee shop um, instead of, you know, having to kind of be stuck at home. Um, but, but that was definitely something where, especially in an afternoon, I would take the iPad and, and go to a second location um, and do some work that is less computer restricted. Um, a lot of that is planning. Um, I love like using the pencil on an iPad and just like mapping things out. Like that's, I do a lot of that on the retreat too. Um, so I've, and then I think that stuff is a lot harder on the laptop where I'm, you know, using a mouse and a keyboard to try to draw shapes, uh, doesn't work as well. So yeah, for higher order, higher, like more managerial or uh, visionary kind of thinking, I do think the iPad fits a lot better. There is like a changing location that also affects that. Yeah. I have a, a craft and, and commerce is a, a, a conference that I've gone to, it's sponsored by ConvertKit, but they oh, give yeah, out yeah. these these uh, stickers. Uh, I got one that says "Create, not consume," and I put it on my iPad case as a reminder that oh. <laughs> creation happens here. All the admin stuff that happens on the Mac, and it has been a little bit tricky with not being able to go to the coffee shop or to the co working space because I'm like you, I used to use both of those places for context switching. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've kind of done a mini version of that we've got a deck out on our, our off of our kitchen yeah so i've got my office in the basement where my mac primarily stays but i will occasionally go out on the back porch to to write on the ipad i do all my editing when i'm editing podcasts using ferrite on my ipad i do sketch notes and good notes yeah uh, and i find that very helpful in keeping all the other junk that i've I, part of me wants it on there but the the real me doesn't <laughs> like all the the social media and stuff i can very easily say no to that sort of thing because the ipad is for creating you know yeah and uh, i find that that filter extremely helpful when i pick up the ipad to do something i'm not tempted by those distractions because the door is not even it's not even a possibility the door is not even open yeah so many people have suffered so much during this pandemic and i hate to even say this, but one of the hardest things for me has been the lack of context shifting in my life. I mean, there are a lot of people dealing with a lot worse problems than that, but the, uh, it is real. I mean, getting away and going to a different place to let you, to engage a different gear in your brain works and you can't do it right now. You can't do it right now, but you can do it on a device. And sometimes that's enough. That's the, the thing I'm kind of learning and I'm, it's kind of cool to hear how you're doing this too, Ian, because it kind of reinforces in my head that you're not such a weirdo. This is a real thing. <laughs> like defining what am I going to be doing on this this device? Sometimes just picking up a different piece of technology, that could be enough to, to change that context. But I agree, changing your physical location does does help. Yeah. Well, Ian, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I knew that you'd be a great guest on the Focus Podcast. You're a very deliberate guy. You've thought through a lot of this stuff. And my congratulations to you for making this successful transition to video. 
if there's any educators out there listening, I, you know, we can't recommend enough. Go check out Ian's website at birdseed.com. If you're not an educator, go anyway. There's some cool <laughs> stuff there. I am very sad that you live in Portland now because we used to see each other when you were down here in yeah. California. And uh, and now you don't get to go to Disneyland, but neither do I. So I yeah. guess we're even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where should people look for you, Ian, other than birdseed.com? Yeah, I have uh, the video sites at birdseed.tv. Um, and then I send out this free weekly mailer from puzzlements.co um, that are just five curious curiosity provoking images or videos um it's just this little side project that i do but um teachers uh it, teachers really respond to it and the goal is just to show students something that isn't the whole purpose of it is just for them to to wonder and to be like um intrinsically inspired to like try to get more information um so that's puzzlements.co is this little side project and then i'm on twitter as ian at um Ian A. Bird, B-Y-R-D. Yeah. Bird with a Y. Yeah. We are the Focus Podcast. You can find us over at relay.fm slash focused. Thank you to our sponsors, ExpressVPN and Blinkist, and we'll see you next time.